0: Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. The Boston Celtics have escaped the defending NBA champs to advance to face the Miami Heat. We're going to talk about the series ahead with a quick look at the one they just finished, as well as the bigger playoff picture. I'm Justin Quinn, here with Cam Tabatabai, Topher Lane, and Alan Goldberg of Celtics Hub, Off the Glass, and or Celtics Lab in no particular order. How is everyone feeling?
1: Can't complain. I mean, the Boston Celtics are going to the Eastern Conference Finals again, so that feels pretty good.
2: Yeah, three just, times in four years. It's awesome. Like you can't ask for much more than that, especially after the the kind of Kyrie year to be back in the Eastern Conference Finals is absolutely great.
3: I'm thrilled that we're back. Uh, but I think I'm even more thrilled that I will not have to look at Nick Nurse's face for the foreseeable future. Uh, <laughs> that guy was annoying the shit out of me at the end of that series. So.
0: <laughs> The C's are headed to the Eastern Conference Finals, but let's take a quick look at what's going on in the rest of the NBA before we dive into the meat of what we want to talk about today. Uh, The biggest thing, uh, I think, in terms of where we want to end up in the NBA Finals and who at least I would most like to face, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers have advanced past the Houston Rockets. Thoughts?
1: uh i guess i'll go first i mean it's no surprise there whatsoever right at the battle of la is everything we were promised and we'll get to why that might not be the case in a second but it definitely wasn't going to be because of james harden and russell westbrook because that was doomed to fail from the beginning was that uh i love russell westbrook i really really enjoy rooting for him but his style of play just does not vibe with playoff fourth quarters um, and for the exact opposite reason, neither does James Harden. One can't get out of his own way and the other shies away from the moment. So there was no, pardon my French, there's no effing way that the Rockets are going to beat the Lakers.
0: Yeah, are you saying that uh, six foot two centers or however tall you are, six foot three centers uh, are not really going no, to
1: No, I'm not pinning this on PJ. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling
0: West <laughs> the center. <laughs> I don't know what he doesn't is, but...
1: Yeah, no. So uh, the Lakers were always going to go to the conference finals. I think um, I'll let Topher and Alex weigh on that before we tease the fact that maybe by the time you listen to this, the Clippers. Well, I guess no. When do the Clippers play next? Tuesday.
0: Tuesday. Yes. Go ahead.
1: Anyways, Topher, Alex, how are you feeling?
2: I, I think that um, to me, what was interesting was you know we watched the series with the with the Celtics and the Raptors where the coaches were just having a bat. It was a battle of coaches and the adjustments between Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens. And then you look at at D'Antoni in, in Houston, and they refused, and they have in the past, and that's been kind of their, their downfall in, in previous playoffs, but they refused to accept that, that Harden could get wide open anywhere between the free throw line and the three-point arc, and he was never taking that shot. It was either you're taking a layup or you're taking a three. And I think if they had just opened that up a tiny bit and accepted the kind of lower quality shot in a mid-range that I think would have been higher quality than the defended looks that he was taking would have made a huge difference in their ability to compete in that series. And they weren't willing to even consider it. So to me, that was the most interesting part of it is that we watched this crazy coaching battle in the Eastern conference in the second round between the Celtics and the, and the Raptors and then just nothing coming from D'Antoni and Harden and, you know, the rocket's franchise as a whole.
3: Yeah. I, I you know, it's this, this Daniel house story is just so bizarre <laughs> Uh, I really, I still don't know. I mean, maybe you guys do, but I still don't really know what happened there. Uh, But just the fact that the Rockets were so clearly affected by the loss of Daniel House, who is a nice player who I like and think would be good on a variety of rosters. Uh, Just the fact that they were so clearly affected by that really doesn't uh, speak highly of the concept that they ultimately Mm -hmm. ended up putting together. And, you know... I love P.J. Tucker so much. He's just such an enjoyable basketball player to watch. Uh, I'm truly sad that he's not going to be a part of our bubble lives anymore. But ultimately, this Rockets team, as fun and weird and funky as they were, was just kind of fundamentally flawed and really relying on a lot of dudes that were ultimately so-so.
0: So speaking of the Clippers, they are poised to be eliminated by the Denver Nuggets. If the trend keeps continuing, they are experiencing the general equivalent of what the Boston Celtics just went through. Uh, How are we feeling about that series?
3: Uh, I can start on this one. So I watched a good chunk of the game today and the Clippers are doing the thing that they've been doing all year where they appear to be the most talented team on the floor. They have Kawhi Leonard, who I think is probably the best player. If not, he's certainly top three right now. Uh, And they just kind of seem to fall asleep at the worst possible time. They get way too comfortable with leads. um, And I think they have this tendency to kind of, sleepwalk through winnable games and suddenly, you know, Nikola Jokic is hitting threes and uh, the Nuggets have a 10-point lead. It's just, it's a really bizarre team. And it even if they do advance, it doesn't speak highly of their chances against what appears to be a really focused and locked-in Lakers team right now.
1: Yeah, I think um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have been great. Not super-duper great, but great. Um, Montrose Harrell and Pat Beverly in the past two games have been kind of no-shows and that's just kind of like the nature of the beast for this Clippers team was they have some really chesty uh, rotation players and supporting casts that in the past two games have just laid pretty big goose eggs um, such that the second half of these games Denver has just kind of gone to work and Denver's playing great but they're a great team it's not like I really, I mean, I don't want to like think from this deficit mindset, but I really do think it's more about the Clippers not managing the moment that it is the Nuggets reaching another gear that the Clippers can't match because the Nuggets can be inconsistent, but they're a pretty damn good team and a pretty dynamic team. And it's really just seems to me that the Clipper stars are playing maybe not as well as they ought to, but pretty good. And the rest of it is just not making sense. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, maybe Tofer will talk about this. There's a lot of Doc Rivers hand-wringing right now because Doc Rivers is one to kind of blow series leads, but he's making some adjustments. I really do feel like it's on the players on this one.
2: It is, and I, I did want to touch on that because I was talking about it earlier today, but it's, it's so strange. The Clippers in their franchise history have still never made the conference finals. And, like, they've come close. Like, a couple of years ago, um, they lost to Houston in I want to say it was 2018, 20 a couple years ago. They they lost the the, uh, the Rockets and it was they got like they were up three one. They lost the same deficit and it's insane. And then you know Mark Allison, one of our own uh, here at Celtics Lab, was was talking about how back when he was with the Magic, Doc Rivers lost a three one lead, and it's um it's just kind of insane. I don't blame Doc Rivers as much as like. Because I'm equating the franchise who's been around since the 70s and, and Doc Rivers who obviously hasn't been there for, for that long. But like, it's, it's just strange how this, this franchise is kind of trapped in the second round and can't find their face in the conference finals. And maybe it's just like this weight that's, that's bearing down on everybody to finally like, cross the, the hump and get over it. But it is strange. The last two games, they've just kind of disappeared in the big moments, as you said. And it, it's really surprising. Uh, how, how poorly they played in those moments and how they would just let Denver get back into this series when they, they could have put it away two times.
0: I blame the franchise exchange in 1978 between the Celtics and the Buffalo Braves that are now the Los Angeles Clippers. I think that the luck of the Irish or whatever the heck you want to accredit the the titles that were flowing into the Celtics in the years before that exchange, it's totally got to be related to that. I mean, look who they ended up with for an owner, Donald Sterling. Uh, I mean, that team has been punished for whatever, re- whatever they've done.
1: Justin, I reject that because if there is Juju and witchcraft in the NBA, the supreme sorcerer of that is Pat Riley. And I just like, I can't live in a world where these sort of hexes exist because where we're about to go certainly hey. leads to a really bad outcome for the Celtics if, if this witchcraft is indeed true. Well,
0: it depends on who you consider the Celtics in that case, because technically speaking, the franchise that won all of those banners with Bill Russell is the Clippers, technically speaking. But I like where you're going with this. Uh, Miami, uh, they eliminated Milwaukee. Any thoughts about Giannis or that series and why Miami advanced? I mean, I have a very pet fairy. um I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of hint about my prediction for the Celtics series, but I think there's something very special about the way that Milwaukee defended and how Miami runs their offense. And maybe we could talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, you and your history, right? With that lump race. I mean there's two other
1: history (laughs) teachers on the call, so it (laughs) was pretty enjoyable on my end. (laughs) Uh,
2: I think I think I agree. I mean the the Heat, they just looked like such a complete team in that in that series. And and we've always kind of given the Bucks, you know, they've got the best player in in Giannis, obviously, but you know, their ability to kind of compete in every every facet of the game has been limited by what Giannis is doing so if he isn't shooting well then they're kind of trapped in like kind of forcing an inside game and then Miami and Spolstra you know I've I've reluctantly accepted that he's you know an elite coach but he really you know he came in with a really good defensive game plan every single game of that series and it was almost a shock when when Giannis went down and they won game four where like it was like oh man what are we supposed to do defensively we don't know like this is strange like what like we don't know how to defend against a team that doesn't have Giannis, you know, to me, it was just like, it was really, it illustrated just how, how versatile this key team is and how scary they're going to be in this upcoming Eastern Conference Finals. It's...
3: I just can't believe that they're gonna give Mike Budenholzer an extension. I mean, I, I don't, I don't love to pin it all on the coach. I think that that's a little reductive, but at least in this past series, Budenholzer got the pants coached off of him by Spolstra. He <laughs> was completely <laughs> stubborn, refused to make adjustments, uh, and I mean, I know that he got injured, but you know, Miami was in control of this series well before Giannis got injured, and at a certain point, it's just kind of inexcusable to not be playing your superstars 40-plus minutes, especially with a team that is as reliant on theirs as the Bucks. Um, it really makes no sense to me why they're going to keep giving Budenholzer another shot at this. And uh, perhaps even more damning uh, on the Bucks as an organization is – the fact that, you know, this is now the third year in a row of Eric Bledsoe just no-showing in a critical series. And uh to add insult to injury, you you have Malcolm Brogdon, who was among the better players uh in Indiana's short-lived series against Miami. It just it speaks poorly of the Bucks organization that um they are continuing to ride out this clearly very limited squad
1: yeah i think interestingly enough i i think like, pretty much the exact same thing the there was good was a great coach but you know miami i mean uh, milwaukee excuse me was so intent on this drop coverage and it was almost like you could see that the heat like weren't expecting to get as many easy looks and switches as they like wanted to get and just like, consistently there weren't changes being made from milwaukee and i don't know maybe because they just skated in the regular season that that, um bud and the rest of the coaching staff didn't feel the need to make changes but it was kind of a uh capitulation of responsibility on the coaching staff it, it seems like and then alex your point is exactly right like not not to borrow a phrase not to be reductive but if you just look at the bucks depth chart eric bledsoe wesley matthews Robin Lopez, Ersan Ilyasova, like these are even in twenty, you know, fifteen that wouldn't have been that good of a supporting cast. It's it's gonna be one of those things. I think I don't think Giannis is gonna leave um, Milwaukee, and that's for another conversation. But when we look back at those like two thousand eight, two thousand nine Lebron teams in Cleveland, the supporting cast, cast now, and um, with hindsight, it's like what 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 are we doing here? This is ridiculous. And I feel the same way about this Bucks team that the second best player on a contending team is sorry, Chris Middleton, but it's Chris Middleton. Like there's just no way. So
2: star Chris Middleton.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Whatever
2: it's worth. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I have yet to be named to an all-star team. So I'll, I'll (laughs) just take a backseat to that. But um, yeah, I think that uh, the Miami heat this season, their front office did better for their team. And then in this series, their coaching staff did better for their team. So even if, the Bucks had one of, if not the best player in the world. Uh, some other things really got in the way of them succeeding.
0: As a result, we don't have to deal with our star player unfollowing all of his teammates and the team on Instagram, like <laughs> a certain player that we aren't going to get into, because uh, who knows what Instagram detective work actually means in this day and age. But we did see the Celtics survive uh, the Eastern Conference semifinals, some pretty big game three, game six, and game seven action. Um, I probably lost most of my remaining hair that is not gray. How are you guys feeling about this uh, series we just escaped from uh, quickly before you went to Miami? I,
3: I I was really proud of my boys here. I got to be honest. I think that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the Raptors as both a team and an organization. I think Lowry is an insanely annoying player, but with good reason. Uh, he's really good at what he does. I like Van Vliet. I like Ibaka. I think Nick Nurse, for all of the things that I hate about him, is an excellent coach. Uh, and I, I think this was, I mean, the Raptors just have no quid in them at all. They really wanted to win this series. Uh, they played hard as nails for nearly every game and i think that this speaks really highly of uh what the celtics team is capable of jason tatum became everything that he was supposed to be he played like an absolute superstar in game seven and you know with marcus smart uh stepping up in a starting role as he always seems to do uh quality contributions from jalen brown kemba was a little inconsistent but when he was on he was playing well Uh, I just, I just think that this was a really big series for a young team to prove themselves in. And I am actually feeling quite a bit more confident that they were able to withstand that stern test from Toronto.
0: How are we feeling about all of the zone that we saw? I'm actually really, really happy that they played all that box and one. I mean, it basically took Kemba out of the game, but I think it gave them towards the end something to work with, particularly in the next series, because we know they're going to see lots and lots and lots of zone, which we think we are, from the heat. Um, They haven't played very much so far, but, you know, again, I don't want to get into the matchups there just yet, but like, how are we feeling about like, what, what, what sticks out in our minds from this series that maybe is going to be useful going forward? Um, any, anything concerning? How are we feeling about what this can be to build off of?
2: Well, what I think is really important to me is, um, you know, Kemba struggled in, from an individual perspective, but you know, it harps back to what, what Brad says you know, consistently about, about Marcus and you know, how he just affects winning. And you look at the plus-minus numbers, and aside from again, Kemba's individuals, his plus minus was exceptional throughout the course of the entire series. He was among the top like five every game in plus minus. And you know, that, that just shows like, yeah, he was really struggling from the floor and like struggling, you know, shooting and, and all in all those regards. But he was still affecting winning the same way that Marcus was, you know, and, and obviously has a much more kind of visible way of seeing how how smart was was altering these games. You have that block that possibly saved the series in game seven. But Kemble was still there, even though he was getting stifled by the zone, he was still making an absolute difference in just how he was involving everyone else and how he was kind of distributing the ball and, and, and really running the show from kind of behind the scenes and letting kind of the, the young, the Jays kind of take control and and do their thing. So I think that if Miami turns towards his zone and finds kind of a similar way of, of stopping Kemble with the Ibaka wall that was there in the center of the paint, I think that, uh, that he still has a way that he can maneuver around it to kind of keep this team chugging throughout those kinds of difficulties on his own personal line.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that this is a huge adjustment for Miami. Uh, uh, Milwaukee and Boston are very different, but there are, there's a lot of similarities between Toronto and Miami. So Boston doesn't have to, you know, get ready for too many changes. This is, I think I tweeted this out a few days ago, so I don't mean to self plagiarize, but fight going against Toronto was simultaneously a rock fight and a shootout. And so there was this, it's gritty, it's grifty, it's tight. It's um, these are teams with a lot of veteran poise who have been there before and they can shoot well. They pass well. There's a lot of finesse from the big men. Um, and I, I think that the Celtics, that's why this, that series went seven, right? I mean, that's a really tough dichotomy to, to fight the Heat, unfortunately, shoot the three ball at a higher percentage than the Celtics do, but around the same rate um, as Toronto. So that's, I guess, a similar challenge. And I I suspect, Tofer, to your point, like, even if Kemba is not the man, he'll have opportunities to succeed. But I do think that it does get a little precarious to expect Marcus Smart to play hero ball down the stretch because, as I mean, that was all time. If you're a Boston sports fan, that was one of the more heroic performances you've ever seen, but hoping or counting on that feels a little dicey. And so Kemba and the Jays, and here's a segue for you, Justin, maybe Gordon Hayward are going to have to kind of step up a little bit more, I think.
0: Absolutely. I I was thinking uh, Siakam was in a lot of ways, a really good uh, beta tester, I guess you could say, for trying to deal with Jimmy Butler because, again, leading scorer, uh, good good variety of ways, at least recently for Jimmy Butler with, with his three ball actually working. It, seem, it seems like there is a pretty good model there where we're expecting a zone, probably we're not going to get one now, but we're expecting a zone, and we're expecting you know, at least one burning ember of a player uh, to, to be a big problem. Um, I think that there's, there's similarities, as you were kind of hinting at, Cam, uh, that we can build off of. Very different. Um, I am very confident in this team, uh, just because the success we saw Miami have in the last round was against a team that wanted you to take three-pointers. And this is a team they're now facing that is built to stop three-point shooting. So, I mean, other than that that one bubble game aside where they absolutely cremated us, um, I think that there is a really good template to build off of. Um, and I think that they learned a lot, of, a lot of ways to deal with the things that burn them in that bubble game against Miami in this series with Toronto. Now, Hayward, I think, is going to be the big X factor here. When he is able to return, he is going to give a lot more zone-busting ability um, but I'm not sure he's going to be available at the start of the series, and he might not even be available until to, towards the end, hopefully, the end of it. What, what are you guys thinking about the Hayward dynamic? And, you know, like, what, what, what is Enos Cantor going to be able to play in the series? Uh, clearly, he wasn't in the last, but I mean, like, how are we going to see the front court change? Like, what's going to be different? Well, I think
1: one of the things that's tough about Miami is right now they have six players averaging at least 10 points in the postseason. Five of whom are incredible three point shooters or competent three point shooters, and if you compare that with the Celtics, absent Gordon Hayward, uh, they have four players who are averaging north of ten points a game, mm-hmm. and what has been some streaky outside shooting. so uh, Miami has a little bit more depth at the top than Boston does, and Hayward, if he's healthy and can contribute, could kind of even that playing field. I thought that down the stretch in the Raptors series, you saw often. Daniel Tice going almost minute for minute um, with Serge Ibaka because Marcus Hall just seemed like he was out of gas, and Tice seems like he can take a beating. I would suspect that he will he'll match up with Bam quite often. Cancer versus uh, Kelly Olenek as like a um, like bench minute matchup is kind of so antithetical to like fluid wonderful basketball but it, it's kind of awesome at the same
0: time it'll be ugly and, definitely
1: so i could see uh if bam has to sit say he's in foul trouble um but the celtics elect to go big maybe brad giving Cantor a chance against olenek and and myers leonard as opposed to uh time lord but time lord played pretty damn well when he was out there i mean he he does great on the glass, which, you know, Miami's not that formidable on the glass, so that could be a, a leg up. And uh Miami's tough with the pick and roll and the pick and pop, but you know, Time Lord's kind of finding his himself there. So Brad Stevens is such a, a an enigma in that way that Time Lord could consistently see, you know, ten, fifteen minutes of playing time this whole series, or we might not see him at all. And I I truly don't know what's gonna happen there.
3: Well, if we're gonna talk about the Celtics front court going forward in the series, I think we also have to uh, acknowledge that, particularly in games uh, five, six, and seven, Brad Stevens played a lot of Grant Williams in big stretches in the fourth quarter. He seemed pretty comfortable going small with Grant as the de facto five and Tatum as kind of a Kevin Durant-style weak side help rim protector. And uh, I think there's definitely potential for Grant to see the floor. I do think that Adebayo is a much uh, harder matchup for him just because Adebayo is strong as all hell and incredibly athletic. So it would not surprise me if that's not a lineup that we could use in the fourth quarter as much as we did against Toronto. But I think particularly in lineups where Olenek is at center and Miami tries to spread the floor, you could be seeing a lot more of Grant Williams uh, going forward. He played, I thought, really quite well. Um, he's shooting, uh, I believe, seven of 11 from deep in the postseason and consistently providing solid defense. He's very switchable. He can scrap on the boards, and uh, I think he's going to end up being a pretty big factor in this series.
0: So the Just long of- as he
2: hits his free throws. That's the big, <laughs> <laughs> the big thing for Grant
3: right there. True.
0: So the battle of the coaches.
3: Yeah. So um, I think this is going to be an incredible tactics battle. Uh, I personally think that Eric Spolstra is the best active coach. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's him and Nick Nurse right at the top. Uh, I thought Brad coached about as good a series as I've ever seen him coach against the Raptors. Uh, And the game of micro adjustments. Who's going to be subbing and when? Oh, Tyler Hero is hot. How are we going to stop that? Oh, Bam Adebayo is eating our front court. What are we going to do to change the pace of this game? You know, I think Brad is going to have his hands full against a guy who is a proven elite coach in Spo. But, you know, considering that he was able to coach Nick Nurse to a draw and maybe even outcoach him in some ways, uh, I feel pretty optimistic that Brad will be, trying some stuff and trying to hold his own. The Hayward thing, I think, really also impacts the coaching matchup because if Hayward comes back, um, it's going to be interesting to see whether Brad decides to go with him in the starting lineup as the Celtics have been doing when he was healthy for most of the season or whether they're going to continue to ride uh, this Marcus Smart hot streak with him as a starter. I think that's going to be a fascinating and really difficult decision. And uh, it's the stuff like that that's going to ultimately determine which way the series goes.
0: Before we get out of here, uh, some predictions on the series. How many games do we think this is going to go? And who do we think is going to win? Topher.
2: I, uh, I could see another seven-game series for sure. And it kind of goes to what Alex was just talking about in terms of just this is going to be such like a tic-tac-toe of strategy of these two coaches going head to head and the adjustments that the Celtics and, and the heat are going to make. And, um, you know, I mean, if we fall down Oh two early, I think that it's, that's gonna be over quick, but if we can kind of take a one and one before we kind of see a return of Hayward, I think there's a, a good shot the Celtics can take it earlier than seven, but I think it's going to entirely depend on, on how far behind we are before Hayward comes back or if we are ahead, um, how it'll kind of affect the the series as a whole. So I could see it going, seven for sure. Um, I like the Celtics, but I'm a homer. So it's kind of hard for me to, (laughs) to be objective in that sense. So um, I think the adjustments will, will favor the Celtics, especially if Hayward can come back earlier than, than later.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, one thing on the coaching front, I I'm curious how Brad Stevens is able to hide Kemba Walker on defense, because I suspect that the heat will hunt him as often as possible because I think the Celtics are going to do a lot of um, blitzing and switching kind of like opposite of what the the Bucks were doing. And I think that the heat will be patient enough to try to make their own mismatches. So I'm curious about that. Uh, In terms of the series, I think it's going to be a longer one. I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics come out a little flat because they're tired um, because the heat are going to be really well rested and the Celtics, even though they're living at Disney world right now and can, you know, relax, I bet they're going to have some, noodle legs down the stretch of game one. So uh, I'm going to emotionally hedge and I'm going to pick the heat in seven.
3: Yeah. Um, this is going to be a fascinating series. I think it's going to be a real dogfight. fight. Um, I've been, you know, admittedly I, I slept on Miami heading into uh, the bubble playoffs. I did not think too highly of them. I thought they were a little gimmicky and they have completely proved me wrong. Jimmy Butler has been stellar out bio is much better than I gave him credit for. So, uh, and they're well coached and they're deep. So I think this is going to be a real challenge. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think it's going to be on Jason Tatum to continue to elevate his level of play and really prove that he's the best player in this series. Uh, given what we saw in Toronto, I have some confidence that he can do that. Uh, I think that as long as, you can get something out of Brown, Smart, uh, Kemba, and possibly Hayward. The Celtics should be in a decent position, and uh, given the way Jason Tatum is playing, I would like to. I, I like to. I like the Celtics in seven. Uh, I think that Tatum can really prove that he's the best guy on this team and in this series, and I, I think that I think that he, they can do it.
0: I'm going to agree. I'm going to be even more aggressive than you just because I think that Miami has, you know, they they do indeed deserve the credit that you're giving them. But I also think that they have been the beneficiary of some very favorable matchups in the playoffs so far. I think this is going to be the biggest challenge for them. I, I do think having Spolster in their corner is going to be an absolutely massive advantage for them in this series. That said, I think if they can find a way to take Jimmy Butler out of his game, then it's going to be a six-game series. If they can't, then it's very, very likely going to be a loss. I am very impressed with what Butler has done so far. Uh, I, I do think that it's still a much more favorable series for the Celtics, but, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to jinx myself. I'm, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Jimmy Butler so far. Um, Anything we want to mention before we get out of here? We're almost out of time.
1: This is a little specific to me, but I'm wishing and hoping everyone's starting a new school year this year. The happiest and healthiest of returns back to academia.
3: Indeed. I will second that. Um, I I think, you know, it's definitely worth mentioning. uh, One of the things that we talked about, Cam, Justin, uh, the last time we were all together on a pod is, uh, you know, the NBA's increasing role as a social justice advocate, uh, particularly on the players' front. You know, obviously since uh, the shutdown uh, in the previous round, uh, things have petered out a little bit. But I do think that um, there's still immense potential, particularly if the players continue to keep the pressure on. I know that Jalen Brown, uh, in particular, is spearheading an effort uh, by the Celtics to get involved in pouring resources into black and brown communities in Boston and uh, starting some really inspiring programs. And uh, I'm hopeful that the players can continue to use their platform for what really matters as the series get more and more intense.
0: Tof, I know you have a lot to say about bubbles and Major League Baseball. We're gonna have to have you come back on and talk about that specifically. Uh, we're just about out of time, but you can. Find a pod on most podcatcher apps. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please raise five stars. If you do not like something or have a suggestion, just let us know with a comment. The hashtag CLPOD. We are always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. Hopefully you did that today. Take care, y'all.